You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast. We read them so you don't have to, because this way at least we never have to read the Twilight novels. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, the man who's sweeter than a bowl full of stevia. Benedict! Cream? Sugar? Honey? What do you put in your coffee? Uh, Milk. Just milk? Milk. Just, just plain old, boring old milk. Well, I... Just well, a, I, I actually, a working man's yeah. milk. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I mean, I don't really drink coffee a huge amount. I drink tea, mm-hmm. as you might expect. Oh, sh- I should have asked. I should have asked for tea. Um, and I put milk in that. And then I, I have like a pre-made like cold brew with almond milk that I have for coffee sometimes. Gross. So Gross. that I don't really put anything in that. It's just pre-made. Um, I don't understand. This is going to turn into a hacky comedian bit really quickly. I don't understand the cold brew thing. I'm asking for coffee. I want right. it hot. Sebastian Maniscalco. <laughs> I just don't get cold brew though. It's not my thing. It's That's like it, uh, I don't need ex- I don't need a bitter cold drink. No, it's not as bitter. Cold... That's the point. And then you can heat no. it up, and it's not as bitter as hot. Co- like... Okay, it's not as bitter because it's ninety percent milk. It's not. I've seen those cold brew That's things. Ice coffee. Milk. That's ice coffee. That's ice coffee. Cold brew is is whatever. Fine. You anyway, said it had milk in it. Ice, it doesn't. Matter. It has some almond milk in it, but it, yeah, it's fine. Anyway, the stevia joke is that because I'm fake sweet, but then I'll be I'm, I'm really bad for you. I was gonna make it into a uh, diarrhea joke because I heard stevia <laughs> does that to you, but uh, I decided to be nice to. You. No, I was just trying to be nice to you this week. The fake uh, sweetness which I know that I... isn't doesn't it isn't followed through on. <laughs> Hey, it's like a hundred times sweeter than sugar. Really? Uh, yeah, I think it is. It's like it's, it's some percent, some times sweeter than sugar. Something it's like all that. artificial. I have no way. idea. All artificial. It's all artificial, just like you. Anyways, this <laughs> is the podcast where we dig down deep into the cardboard box full of KKK paraphernalia, looking for the MAGA hat of right wing thought <laughs> stuffed in there with the rest of it. <laughs> don't mind me i'm just minding my business it's like well it's like when you listen to bulls on parade for the first time and hear that first line you go wait did he just say that you're like oh did he just fucking say that oh jesus christ uh anyways benedict uh while we get things going this week uh, you got any hot takes for us yeah coups are bad that is my yes. hot take for the week that you know we went through an almost coup which was kind of embarrassing but also kind of well, like we we sort of had worrying. this debate the other day it does it count if it's unsuccessful yes do you do, but no 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 do you still call it a coup or do you have to call it an attempted coup because in my mind yeah. grammatically Coup only refers to one that is successful. No, that's fair enough. It's an attempt to coup. Or a putsch, you might call it, in the a original putsch, German. A putsch. 
Um, yeah, you might call it a putsch. Uh, this or as one, your wife not. might say, uh, they uh, they tr- they cooed. They, they cooed. <laughs> we love to we love to talk about how they cooed. Um, yes. Like pigeons, they cooed. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, they're generally bad and uncomfortable to watch. And if you want I... to hear our thoughts on the coup, you should go be a patron at <laughs> patreon.com forward slash whatever the URL address is that Kevin can provide. NYGBC pod, yes. Uh, yeah, as, as someone who lives, uh, you know, less than uh, half a mile from the attempted coup, yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty bad. And it sounded pretty bad from out my window, too. Uh, and yeah, if you want to hear us talk about that, we did the patron-only bonus episode uh, just the other day. It's available now, patreon.com forward slash NYGBC pod. We talked about it, and we went through a whole bunch of clips of right-wing media given their terrible terrible points there have been some uh, bad about, takes about bad the, takes the if, you're looking, if you're looking for hot takes go find that patreon episode yeah our hot take is there are bad takes ah it was not good no yeah so what's your hot take or is it my so? hot take coups, this coups week are bad real uh, double down might, on the bad coup. you might be surprised to learn uh, related to the same thing okay and that is that police shootings are still bad yes uh <laughs> I feel like I might have been a bit flippant uh, regarding the girl who was shot um, on our patron only bonus episode the other day um, when and basically not because I I said anything. I think it was over a line or anything, but I didn't bother to address uh, the fact that police shootings are obviously still bad and we don't want them. Um, But, you know, use of deadly force is always bad. I feel like Almost the things I'm seeing right now on Twitter and Facebook are a bunch of people, and this is not to say everyone, obviously not everyone, um, there are a bunch of people who seem to be celebrating this shooting. And the point I want to make is I picked up uh, the Sunday edition of the Washington Post the, uh, yesterday, obviously, uh, this is Monday as we record, um, and read the story they did about this girl and how she was radicalized. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind that this girl was radicalized. And I know people getting, oh, they do these big profiles of all the right-wingers. Yeah, they do. Um, but I think it is important to remember that it could be any one of your relatives, my relatives, who end up being that person. And the reason why I want to know about those sorts of things is because it's not someone's fault that they get sucked down that rabbit hole. You don't have that sort of control over your life and the way you think. Yes, we do need to hold people accountable, but it's no one's, uh, no one intends to turn into a batshit crazy person. And so I, I think, I just want to keep that in mind as I see all the Speak people. Speak for yourself. <laughs> making I fully intend upon it. Yeah, yeah, I know you do. But anyways, Ben, Nick, let's move on a little Did you bit. see, by the way, just on that quickly, did you see Ben Smith's piece in the New York Times about Baked Alaska? No, I did Because they used to work together at BuzzFeed. Yeah. So that's fun. It's good. Read it. Okay, check it out, check it out. But what's on your bookshelf this week for uh, Well, appropriately, uh, it is Anthony Beaver's tome on the Spanish Civil War, which is very good. Uh, somewhat different. Remind me, who was fighting on those? There was one side that was, was it, was it called Fa? There was a Fa yeah. there? And then there was, and then there was the another Antifa. side there was, a, there was against the Fa. Yeah, so you might yeah. say they were kind of anti-Fa. Exactly, that's, you, what, that's you, what I was getting at. You there. might. Yeah. Anyway, and you know who fought for them? Just out of interest. Uh, George Orwell. George Orwell. I know I there ruined you your <laughs> That's it. Yes. You know you got it. You got it in one. So you might say that George Orwell was, and, and bear with me here, Antifa. Yes, um, you could very much Also say Ernest so. Hemingway. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, that's good. Anyway, it's good. It's a, Spanish Civil War is kind of a unique animal. Um, it's not exactly comparable to things that are going on in this country right now. For that, look to the Nazis. No, I'm <laughs> uh, I mean... <laughs> 
Not completely kidding. Um, look to the I 60s. know a documentary with a wonderful scene of the beer hall putsch with a whole <laughs> fingering of a machine gun and everything. Yeah, I can recommend very to people. I thoroughly do not recommend that, but I do recommend <laughs> this book, which is really good. It's it's good on the conditions that led to the Spanish Civil War and Generalissimo Francisco Franco, who is still dead. Thank you very much. What about your book? Uh, this week, I am recommending... I'm, I'm going back to books this week, right? Okay. Uh, I've been recommending a lot of deigning, anime and manga. Thank you to stick to the format. I thought I better go back to the format at least once uh, in the beginning of the year. And I'm recommending uh, Neil Stevenson's book, Seven Eves, uh, which I think is a wonderful work, work of uh, hard science fiction. Um, Do you, you know, know I realized when, when you wrote this out in the script that it's, it was like, oh, that is seven spelled backwards, which I've, I would never have got if you if you <laughs> just pronounced it. I hadn't looked at the script. Yep, yep. I, I think maybe he did that on purpose. You think? You, uh, that is a, are you telling me this is a literary device? <laughs> I'm so yep, unused yep. To, to literary devices, given all the reading we normally do. <laughs> I get where you're coming from. Uh, but it's a fantastic work of science fiction uh, dealing with... Uh, uh, you know, basically the destruction of the entire planet in an okay. attempt to an attempt to save the human race by sending them all into outer space. Um, it's really good. Uh, you know, and you as said far that, as hard that's by Elon goes. Musk. I mean, <laughs> actually, I think Neil Stevenson is currently the in-house. I don't remember what the position is called, but it's like Imagineer for uh, Tesla, either really? Tesla or SpaceX or somebody. <laughs> I don't remember what his current job is, but I think it's at SpaceX. I'm, I'm 90% sure it's at SpaceX. Wow. I was joking, um, but there we go. No, I think it really is. He, I know because he's he's on that libertarian tip. Um, Good stuff. Yeah, he does all that weird stuff too. Anyways, it's unimportant, but wonderful book. Go ahead and check it out. Anyways, a little bit of housekeeping this week before we get to the book review. Starting off with, remember to rate and review us on iTunes. Please go ahead and do that, everybody. Uh, follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod. Uh, that patron-only bonus is up now on, on uh, patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. And we have to announce, since this is the last chapter we'll be doing oh, today shit. of The Right Side of History by Ben Shapiro, that our new book, uh, unless any last-minute votes come in, because not a lot of you has, have voted yet over on patreon.com, but unless any uh, drastic changes are made to the voting, our next book will be Arguing with Socialists <laughs> by Glenn Beck. I cannot wait. So that's what we'll be coming back with in two weeks. Um, of course, next week there won't be a new book review episode, but we will have an episode we talked about for a while now doing those interstitial episodes. It'll be a little bit shorter and a little bit easier on us uh, mm. in between uh, new book review chapters. So we'll Give be me going that easy to that. content. Uh-huh, where you just get to sit there and react to me. Love that. Reading to you and playing yep. you clips. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Well, with all that out of the way, Benedict, we return to our book review of The Right Side of History by Ben Shapiro, the douchiest of Ramona Flowers' evil (laughs) ex-boyfriends. Benedict, what do we read? (laughs) You haven't seen Scott Pilgrim vs. the World? I have not. Oh, you're killing me, man. Benedict, what do we read this week? This week, Kevin, we read Chapter 9, The Return to Paganism, in which Ben Shapiro reaches his final form of Shapiro's art. Well, that was the worst Pokemon voice I've ever heard. Shapiro's are. <laughs> Shapiro's I would like are. to point out we, we spent a good Shapiro's five. Are. We spent a good five minutes before the show debating which Pokemon would be the best form to match the O at the end of yeah. Shapiro's name. I, none I of them, none strongly, of them flow really well. Strongly of argued for for to try and turn Kabuto into Kabutops and therefore Shapiro. <laughs> 
But Kevin said that that wouldn't work because people wouldn't understand because nobody that it was knows a Pokemon. That Pokemon. Yeah, so we had to Char- we had to do Charizard, Charizard right? cuz everyone knows who Charizard is. So that was Kevin's joke and I think he was right to be fair. Yes. Yes, I was right in the long run. Uh, but anyways, Benedict, uh, this is chapter nine. As you said, do you have an alternate chapter title? For I us do. I do. And it is. And now what you've all been waiting for the main event, cultural Marxism. Yes, it is cultural Marxism. It is all that wonderful stuff. Ah, uh, this chapter, this chapter is a doozy. It's uh, long more than boring. anything we've gotten into in this book. Cause this is where he gets to his modern day gripes. Uh, that he puts out all over his social media and all over the place. So he is well-versed in his bullshit arguments in this chapter. What was your favorite Uh, chapter? Just out of it. My favorite chapter? I'd probably go to go back to maybe Athens. Athens was pretty fun. That was fun. That was Um, only fun because we did it with Aaron, though. The ones where other people were carrying yeah. the water for us. That's the, that's the ones I really enjoyed. No, I well, I personally, I liked the one where he did the French Revolution and Marx in one chapter. <laughs> yeah, that was so wonderful. Uh, but I have two alternate chapter titles for us this so. week. My first one uh, has to be said in a, a shouting voice. I don't understand intersectionality! Mm, that is true. Uh, that's number one. That's number one. And number two, also shouting, I am the victim of victim culture! <laughs> Yes. Yep, that's what we're getting in this chapter. Now, this chapter starts disgustingly. Yeah, um, not great. Also, he him, doesn't really link back to this at any point. He's just like, I'm going to be a douchebag for a page yeah. and then never mention it again. Oh, he like, has a bunch of anti... Well, he so he has a bunch of anti-trans stuff in this chapter, yes. which sort of links back to it. I but guess. remember, I'll just read the last sentence of the last chapter so we remember what the lead into this was. And that was, quote, For as it turns out, There are larger philosophical threats to Western civilization that require our attention. So, everything we've talked about in this book, what we're about to read now are the larger philosophical threats to Western civilization. We begin this chapter in 2015. Remarkably modern day for this book, right? (laughs) Compared to everything we've been talking about. Unlike all the ideas presented in this book. With... Ben Shapiro on the Dr. Drew show. Just a wild journey. We've talked about Voltaire and fucking like think about Archimedes. How fucking, yes. Think about how fucking petty we've gotten yeah. by the time we because this is Ben Shapiro's life. He can't come up with, oh, this time I was at the Grand Symposium. Yeah. We were debating the finer points <laughs> of uh, existentialism. I was speaking to my friend, uh, the, the dear Mr. Richard Dawkins, of course. No, Ben Shapiro. And then two years ago, I was on Dr. Drew. That's what he has, because that's how small and petty his pathetic existence and career are. Arguing on Dr. Drew. And he was on Dr. Drew. Uh, I have no idea why he was one of the guests for this. I did not bother to look up this video, um, because actually his description of it is outstanding. Um, So just uh, to begin with, it was when Caitlyn Jenner... Yeah, it was when Caitlyn Jenner was being awarded the ESPN uh, Arthur Ashe Courage Award. Um, And so, of course, Dr. Drew calls up his buddy Ben Shapiro, because who else are you going to have come talk about that than Ben Shapiro? So, of course, he's misgendering uh, Caitlyn Jenner in this chapter because he's an asshole. Uh, and fuck him. And, uh, you know, he can go fuck himself. I have nothing to to say about it other than that. I'm not going to read his misgendering uh, because he's a douchebag. But he also mentions that on the panel with him on the Dr. Drew show uh, were uh, several other individuals, one of them being Zoe Tur, uh, who's a transgender uh, woman. 
And uh, uh, this is, I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read what happened because Ben Shapiro thinks this makes him look good. Yeah. When in fact, this makes him look like the whiny bitch who got his ass kicked and walked away and told everyone how tough and cool he was. Mm -hmm. So he says, quote, I responded by reiterating that Jenner is a biological male and that believing you are a member of the opposite sex is a mental disorder, that men cannot magically become women and women cannot magically become men. After Tur responded with insults, I finally asked Tur, what are your genetics, sir? So he misgendered Tur to her face. He's a douchebag. Yeah. He deserved to be punched. Um, he continues, the question wasn't meant as a provocation. It was meant to make a point. Biology matters. Facts matter. Reason matters. But it's at this a, point... Beyond anything else, it's such bad writing. Like, also, don't be a dick and misgender people, obviously, but... Yeah. Yeah, don't be a, a right-wing douchebag. But at this point, all hell broke loose. Tur grabbed me by the back of the neck on national television and threatened to send me home in an ambulance. And the parenthetical here is what makes this entire thing outrageously funny to me parenthetical an odd offer since you don't usually go home in an ambulance <laughs> yeah he's staking his win on the fact that you don't actually go to your home in an ambulance typically you go to the hospital in the ambulance boom owned yeah got us thank you fucking ben. owned yeah. right fucking owned yeah jesus christ got us really yeah <laughs> Anyway, point B. I cannot get over how great the fucking parenthetical is. He got he got punked like the bitch he is on national television, and his comeback is, "Well, I don't actually gonna go to my home in the ambulance. They're going to take me to the hospital. Why, where I'm why, going to be treated. why would you call? Why would you call an ambulance if I'm just gonna go home anyway? Where, where I'm going to be treated for the massive beating you're going to give me on live television? Bet you're embarrassed That's now." That is Ben Shapiro in a fucking nutshell. You don't need to read any of this book. You just need to read that paragraph and you fucking understand Ben Shapiro. You're right, though. You are, you know, obviously it's funny, but you are correct in in the sense that someone can be making a larger correct point to Ben Shapiro, (laughs) fuck up the wording slightly, and then he's like. He's like, D- did you just say this? I can't believe you just said that. That undermines your whole argument. Like, that is literally his operation. Like, And to be fair, that is essentially high school debate, which is what Ben Shapiro does. You know, you does. wrote down prescribed, but you meant to write down proscribed. Yeah. So obviously I'm correct here. Yeah, <laughs> obviously the whole argument goes out the window. No, like, you're still a dumbass. It's just like, I yes. misspoke. Sorry. So he continues on. And the next thing he, he's, you know, ar- what his argument is going to be here is that reason is dead. Because we accept trans people. Reason is dead now. Yep, good stuff. That's where his argument is starting here. And he says, quote, Unfortunately, reason is no longer in vogue. That's why when I visited Berkeley to speak, protesters outside chanted, Speech is violence! To which I have to say to you, Ben, No, we fucking didn't. Because I was fucking (laughs) there. I was fucking there protesting you. We did not yell, Speech is violence. That's a stupid fucking thing we wouldn't yell. 
Yeah. Also, this we reads... yelled "fuck you, Ben Shapiro." <laughs> That's what the fuck we yelled. This reads really badly now. After there was an actual armed insurrection that Jesus took the capital, like he's just like, "How well, can I, a, a normal right winger, be accused of being a Nazi?" It was like, "Well, look outside, Ben." <laughs> Well, that's what they're about, is playing up uh, insignificant slights to themselves while overlooking, you know, fascist atrocities that their side are Massive societal problems, yeah. And I will say, he does point out, right, he is an Orthodox Jew, and he's always called a Nazi. And Mm -hmm. I will will always come to Ben Shapiro's defense and say, no, he is not a Nazi. It is improper to call anyone of Jewish descent a Nazi. I think that's, unless they're, you know, an actual Nazi. Um, I do think... He's a fucking fascist, which I think is the appropriate word. And I think if we're going to follow Ben Shapiro's example, we should use the appropriate words and call him the fascist fuck that he is. Lots of non-Nazi fascists out there. No, plenty of them. There's plenty. That was Francisco Franco. For example. Non-Nazi, non-Nazi fascist. For example. So, kept, kept Spain out of the war magnificently, actually. <laughs> magnificently. <yeah. laughs> So he continues on, right? And he's going to be, he's moving on now. He's talking about how the existentialist philosophy is what led us to this point, where reason no longer matters. And we have returned to paganism. That is, it's, of course, it, the title it, of the very, chapter. Very weird, by the way, that he's like, and of course, this is, pa- reason is dead, and therefore we're back to paganism. Like, dude, like you said, the best reasoners ever were the Greeks. What do you think they believed in? <laughs> they were fucking pagans. Yeah, by your <laughs> definition, they were like, they were pagans. That's exactly what they were. Using what are you his talking rules, about? we've just destroyed his entire argument just got by it. pointing out that he was incorrect and probably didn't think through his title all the way. Yeah, yeah. he got carried uh, away in the moment. Right. And then he brings us a, a Voltaire uh, quote, uh, which I, I had difficulty understanding what the fuck he was talking about here. So I want to read it for you, where he says, and this is referring to the modern age, right? So this is it's after we've given reason away and we're no longer following it quote history was not a story of progress but a story of oppression and suffering as voltaire wrote in je n'ai don't challenge my my pronunciation (laughs) all ancient histories as one of our wits has observed are only fables that men have agreed to admit as true with regard to modern history it is mere chaos a confusion which is impossible to make anything of that has nothing to do with ben shapiro's point I'm pretty sure Voltaire is just talking about how, you know, the winners write history and it's pretty hard to figure out what the fuck's going on right now. Yeah, I mean, that that quote essentially passed is all we have from ancient history is myths that happen to survive. And all we have from now is guessing who's going to write the final version of this history. Like nobody knows where history, how history is going to progress from this exact point forwards. Right. Because that's prediction rather than history. Anyway, well, Voltaire, Voltaire is much smarter than Ben Shapiro, yeah, is the summation absolutely. of that quote. <clears throat> so he tells us that we've returned to paganism. We've t- returned to human beings just being animals. There being no purpose in our lives. Of course, you and I, Benedict, there is no purpose in our lives. We purpose in my life doing. is to dunk on Ben Shapiro. I don't know about you. <laughs> well, is that your inner truth? Yep, that is. That, is that have, is... You found, have you found your bliss? No, it's just, this is my, <laughs> this, this is my praxis, honestly. This is... <laughs> Unless, unless, he tells us, the purveyors of Athens and Jerusalem had been wrong all along. And he tells us, he asked the question, rather, and you know the rule about questions. What if, as it turned out, man was born free but was everywhere in chains because of these systems of thought themselves? That is possible. Certainly possible. Possible, it's the truth. (laughs) And so... 
we get to the first subsection of the chapter, which is titled Baiting the Babbits. This chapter uh, is way too long, by the way. It's it's 40 fucking pages, this one. Uh, and yeah, we've talked about be- my mistake in complimenting Ben Shapiro on his consistent <laughs> chapter lengths early on in the book. But yeah, we ended up with like 40 fuck. It might be like 35, 35, 40 fucking pages. Way too long. Um, but he starts off, of course, Europe is devastated by war and Europe discarded religion long ago. Absolute nonsense, of course. Uh, it's not like Europe is a continent of atheists as much as I would love that. <laughs> uh, but the, the title of the subsection, Baiting the Babbitts, he pulled from Sinclair Lewis's book, Babbitt. Uh, conveniently, he tells us, written in 1922, or it's published not- in 1922, uh, where Babbitt became an insult for everyday Americans. Uh, and of course, you know, Sinclair Lewis, best known for uh, his work that d- took a look at the society around him and pulled back the covers and displayed it for what it truly was. And great use of symbolism and that stupid billboard with the glasses on it, that kind of shit. Yeah. I don't like Sinclair Lewis. I don't understand why anyone does. <laughs> My, but just before he gets to Sinclair Lewis, he's like, oh, the advance of blacks was greater in the 40s when there was little or no civil rights policy than during the <laughs> 1950s when the civil rights revolution was in its heyday. It's like, okay, yep. first of all, the I wouldn't call the 1950s the heyday of civil rights. That is not when things happened that changed things for the better, really. That happened in the 60s. And secondly, a lot of people progressed well under, like during the war because America was like, we don't have time to care about whether you are black because we need people to go and die for us and to build us weapons so that we can go and kill each other and kill, kill the fascists, funnily enough. Um, so there was there was a little a, the racism was dialed down a little I guess in the forties. A just, tad, a yeah, tad. just just maybe a smidgen. I would also point out that the uh, numbers he's pulling from there uh, come from a guy named Thomas Sowell. Yeah. Don't who trust is a anything liber- Thomas Sowell says. Yeah, libertarian economist, widely criticized by literally everyone. Uh, <laughs> so hardly a reliable source on anything. But this dream that he's talking about, right? The American dream, he's saying America was not a cultural desert, as people like Sinclair Lewis were portraying it as. This dream was, it wasn't just the white picket fence, the dog, the kids. It was, quote, a dream of cultural enrichment and common purpose. As Fred Siegel reports, between 1940 and 1955, local symphony orchestras increased 250%. Ah, yes, culture. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Ben Shapiro. I get that there are people out there who actually enjoy orchestras. I don't get that there are people out there who actually enjoy orchestras. Uh, I don't understand wanting to go sit. In, I can sit in my room and listen to that on a, on my headphones. I can do that. I don't need to go watch somebody do it. If I'm going to go watch a concert, I want somebody jumping off the stage and playing a guitar behind their back. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, You've never seen the Munich Symphony Orchestra? <laughs> so their shiny instruments sit up on stage and don't move all that much. Great, great. Sounds wonderful. But his other point of evidence for this great American culture was that NBC NBC put on a three-hour production of Richard III. Wonderful. And as of 1951... Hold on, hold on. A production of Laurence Olivier's Richard III. So we we imported... One time we imported some culture (laughs) from Britain, is what he's saying. Yes, yes, that is true. And... He says that 50,000 Americans a year were buying collections of the writings of Plato, Aristotle, the Founding Fathers, and Hegel. At serious cost to themselves. (laughs) Yeah, he points that out. 
They used their own money to buy the Founding Fathers. To buy books. Wow. 50,000 copies a year. Wow. That is, wow, that okay. would, Even that back would not in the get day, you on any bestsellers that list. That is not very many. <laughs> no, back in the day. How many copies did fucking Harry Potter sell? 20 million? Something, 50 million? I mean, yeah. Like I, mean, that? I feel like that's not what we should compare it with, but yeah. Yeah, oh, we sold 50,000 copies of The Republic this year. Yep. <laughs> the great American culture we have going on here. Uh, so, of course, the American left uh, was unwilling to accept uh, this culture that was being produced by capitalistic America. And they were destined and desired deeply to destroy it because they hated it. They you, hated you America. You know how the left hates culture. The left, they, they hate culture. What do we want culture for? We don't want any. Who wants a symphony? Is there, if there's anything I know, it's that fa- anti-fascists um, go to symphony orchestras around the country and smash tubas. No, that they, is they, what they, they do. Pull, they pull, what's the bit on a trombone that like you, you do like the wow, wow, wow. The handle? Whatever. Well, the handle. whatever. I don't know what it's fucking called. <laughs> I'm going to call it the handle. They, they go around go to symphony handle. storerooms and pull the handles off trombones. <laughs> they, they just steal the handle It's a classic Antifa tactic. Yeah. So the guy's got to come in. He's just buzzing to the mouthpiece, and it's the same sound coming just one out. One note. I'm, I'm limited <laughs> to one note on a trombone. <laughs> I love it. Nothing has ever displayed more uh, how little you and I know about trombones. <laughs> uh, you know, I I won a scholarship when I was eight to learn the trombone. <laughs> I'm guessing you didn't go. <laughs> I did not go. No, because my my school did a music test at the time, and they were like, "We will give like the ten people that do best on this music test four years worth of scholarship <laughs> to learn an instrument of their choice." And then I I was like, "Oh, I'll pick violin as my first option because like, oh, I'll obviously get my first option." And they were like, "You have uh-huh. to pick a second option too." And then I was like, "No, we I'm gave not, the violin to the good kids. I'm you not, get a fucking trombone." I'm not gonna need a second option. I guess I'll just write trombone and then clearly the trombone teacher got excited and was like somebody oh, wants it <laughs> so anyway that's how i came close I, I to love, learning the no, trombone no, no, no. between the what ages I love of eight and is 11. the image i love the image of that trombone teacher getting the message somebody wants to learn trombone oh yes somebody's interested and then you turning it down turning down four years just... of free trombone lessons <laughs> Them just pouting and walking away. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that might be the funniest thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So, of course, we got to get back to the book. We no, we book. don't. I can tell you stories uh, from my childhood. <laughs> that's what this podcast is going to turn into. I hope so. So uh, Shapiro's going to tell us that uh, the left were... were uh, uh, they wanted to destroy that system. They were um, hell-bent on destroying the, the system of the Judeo-Christian-supported enlightenment. He's got another fucking phrase this time. He's changed that phrase up every chapter or two, uh, where it was, you know, Judeo-Christian plus Greek teleology, and now it's Judeo-Christian-supported enlightenment system is the one he's going with here. Uh, and of course... This argument that the system needed to be destroyed entirely in order to make change comes from Marxism. Oh, of course it does. Uh, of course it does. And, and you know, you know, you know exactly how long we're going to spend on Gramsci. It yep. is, dear readers, listeners. <laughs> two paragraphs. Two paragraphs. Two paragraphs. Two paragraphs. One of which was, lol, Gramsci died in a Mussolini's <laughs> prison, essentially. He, he might have well actually written lols in there. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> you know that's how he felt when he read it. Uh, and then he gets to the Frankfurt School, which... So this is Frankfurt this school, is the school where they teach you cultural Marxism for those un, un, unfamiliar. Right. And so there's a weird thing going on here because the Frankfurt school is the one that neo-Nazis scream about and yeah. Alex Jones screams about and fucking white supremacists. All of, and they, they all do. I mean, it, the Frank, th- this this whole chapter felt very early 2016 to me. It felt like he'd written this in 2016 and then published it. You realize it's only 2021. It's not that far in the future. No, I know, but it, it, you know how the internet like goes through phases of discourse. Like this felt Mm -hmm. very like cultural Marxism, Frankfurt School. Like that all felt very pre-Trump to me. Yeah, I get, I get that feeling. I sort of, I get, I know what you mean. That was cultural Marxism was much more of a buzzword back then, around 2016. regressive left cultural Marxism, things like that. You know. Yep, type of shit Ben Shapiro said in his on-campus talks. Uh, so he's going to talk a little bit about the Frankfurt School and some of the individuals associated with it. It is a real thing, but really it's just the buzzword that people who want to say cultural Marxism use. Which is uh, another, usually, which is a buzzword for people that want to say Jews. Yeah. And that's the thing, is that usually it means Jews. Of course, yeah. we're getting it from Ben Shapiro, from which I, I guess he means the bad Jews. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so he's, he says, and this is a quote that I loved, and uh, um. From a little bit further down after he first mentions the Frankfurt School, he says, quote, It is no coincidence that various forms of university study dedicated to various alleged victim groups, black studies, Jewish studies, LGBT studies, all find a home under the critical studies rubric. And he's going to use the word victim a fuckload throughout the rest of this chapter. And it's annoying as shit. Because I have never heard, I went to, as I've said many times, UC Berkeley. Were you a victim? Liberalism, TM. Uh, Leftism, TM. Right. I have never heard anyone talk about victim ideology and vic- all this victim shit other than people on the right. It is absolutely them who are throwing around this victim shit. Everyone else is having real discussions about things. So the first person he's going to bring up for us is Eric Fromm, 1900 to 1980, he tells us, who, according to Benedict, nope, not Benedict. God not damn me. it. I keep doing I that to you. That I'm shit. so sorry. I have so never sorry. said this shit in my life. <laughs> suggested that the roots of totalitarianism could be found in the materialism he saw in the United States. Fromm stated that fascism would rise in the United States thanks to its devotion to capitalism and has been borne out correct in the last week. But he also said a little later on, quote, Nazism didn't arise from consumerism. It arose from communal purpose overriding individual purpose and individual capacity abandoned in favor of worship of the communal capacity of the state. Nazism, in other words, lay a lot closer to Marxism yes. than capitalism did. Play the Dinesh! hits! Playing the hits, baby! This is the Allman Brothers bringing out Whipping Post right yeah. here. I mean, this, is, this is the most, like, that type of book chapter. That, well, you know, what... the, this is the book chapter we've done a thousand times already, right? It like, is. This, is, this is that in this book. So, like, this is all of his, like, weird theories writ onto the modern day well but what's most interesting to me is at no point in this book did he bother to lay out that dineshist argument that uh nazism is closer to communism and marxism than it is to um you know fucking the alt-right or whatever like we had that was the entire purpose of dinesh's book and every time we've come across an author who addresses that point or makes it they at least spend a little bit of time making the argument yeah. Ben does it entirely in that bit I read to you. 
That's the entirety of his argument that Nazism is closer to Marxism than capitalism. And but that, that's just, what this book it's is. It's just a conclusion. It's a series of rushed arguments, right? That, that's exactly what this book is. Seri- right. It's a series of conclusions without, without sufficient evidence. Absolutely. So the next individual we get to is Herbert Marcuse. Of course, Marcuse has a lot of fucking interesting things to say, mm-hmm. none of which he wants to deal with. No. He's put in some, there's some interesting things he puts in the book, like uh, I'll read a quote where he says, quote, capitalism had structured adults so that they fell into patterns of labor specialization. And that same logic held true for sex, where certain body parts were for certain things. But no more! Now, quote from Mark Hughes now, the body in its entirety would become an object of cathexis, a thing to be enjoyed, an instrument of pleasure. And this is... We've gotten a lot of Ben being weirded out by sex throughout this book. And in <laughs> Ben his has very life, boring sex, is what. <laughs> ben has very boring sex. But I never understand this whole anti-sex thing among people like Ben Shapiro. Because Ben Shapiro, although he is a right-wing religious nutjob, is a different flavor of right-wing religious nutjob. But I have to assume that his flavor of right-wing religious nutjobbery, despite it being an entirely different religion, has been heavily influenced by American evangelicalism. Because that's the people who he spends all his time palling around with. So I have to assume that it's sort of just seeped into his consciousness from all of that. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. He just seems very weighted out by sex, generally. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but then we get to repressive tolerance. And, of course, he's going to talk about it with Mark Hughes. He's not going to bring up, you know, the guy on that issue, (laughs) Carl fucking Popper, and the entire idea of the paradox of tolerance, because he can't deal with Popper's arguments. That being, you know, the liberal, for, for the uninitiated, that liberalism allows things to rise because you are tolerant of even the most hateful arguments, and therefore the hateful arguments will eventually overtake you because you've allowed them to take place, right? That's the Right, the and that's so you need proper. to be, you need to be intolerant of intolerance. Yeah. Exactly. That's why it's the paradox of tolerance, right? So, and he just goes with the Marcusean argument of repress- repressive tolerance, where Marcuse's argument is much more like preemptively going after right-wing thought. Yeah. Which I don't think most people agree with. Um, I think that most of us are generally in the free speech zone until things become intolerant. Not just, I mean, and I think there is an argument to be made that right-wing regressive thought is inherently intolerant. And we need to deal with it as a society. But I don't really give a shit what Ben has to say about it. It's not really interesting. No. But we get to the next subsection. <laughs> like much of this chapter, it's not really yeah. interesting. We get to the next subsection, which is called I'm on the right track, baby. I don't he, I don't know what that reference is from. I could not figure it out. <laughs> clearly, it's in quotes, so clearly he thinks he's referencing something. But if anyone in the audience knows, let us know. I think, and this is my guess, because he does, and I don't think it's in this subsection, but he does at some point bring up Lady Gaga. Oh, it is. It's I was born this way. You're right. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is in this subsection. Yeah. So he does, um, I guess, tie it in somehow. So he I'm knows one sure. Lady Gaga lyric. Yeah, and that's the entirety of all he knows is one lady. And one Bloodhound Gang lyric will find out. (laughs) That blew my fucking mind. But uh, he says, quote, The newfangled gloss on Rousseauian romanticism found ecstatic followers on the new left, where once conscience had reigned supreme, now self-fulfillment became the key to self-betterment. And his entire argument is going to start with Maslow. And he's going to argue that the core of everything the left believes is about raising self-esteem. Which... It's not. 
No. It's about making people's living conditions better. Uh, ma- material betterment. <laughs> there is a psychological betterment component to it, right? Yeah, but it but generally I- arises out of like being materially better so you don't have to worry about where food is coming from. Right. Like that's he's the psychological arguing, betterment aspect of it. He's arguing that we see it the other way around. That the first step and the only st- the only thing he addresses that he thinks matters to us is raising self-esteem. No. As though that is the end goal in and of itself. No. He thinks that give he people money and food. Think, <laughs> he thinks that we think that raising self-esteem will cause all of the other things to fall into place. When no, raising self-esteem, like like you said, like give people food so they can fucking eat and their self-esteem will be higher and their view of themselves and their surroundings will be higher. Like yep. that's the fucking, it may be a way to measure how we're being successful with things, but it's not the fucking, it's not what we're aiming for. No. I mean, it's part of it, but you get what I'm saying, right? How, how confident nonsense. are you in yourself on a scale of one to 10? A nine? Job done. Nothing, <laughs> nothing for the state to do here. What, you're starving, but self-confident? Who cares? Sorry. Oh, your daddy's in jail, but you're self-confident. Come on. You think you're the shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shoulders back, boy. Shoulders back. So he starts off with Maslow and uh, straw manning the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, obviously. And then he goes to Benjamin Spock. Do you remember Benjamin Spock? No, honestly, I thought it was from Star Trek. No, we got we got Benjamin Spock when we were doing The Faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual uh, biography. Yeah, we got remember. a whole chapter yeah, 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 about yeah. Spock babies. You remember I do that one? Remember. Yeah, 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 Talking I do. about how Donald Trump is a Spock baby. Uh, so I, rem- I remember that right off the bat. I just want to throw in that shout out to The Faith of Donald J. Trump. That was that was a wonderful one there. But Spock, of course, um, this is where the whole, uh, you know, not hitting your kid thing, I think, really started. So, you know, try and, and make your kids feel good about themselves and don't be a dick, I think was Spock's overall main <laughs> message. And then, weirdly, this is a weird That's one. A, following someone up on checked that, in on Ben Shapiro's kids. Just Yeah, please, please do. Let's, let's send Child Protective Services over there. But following up from Spock, he goes to Nathaniel Brandon. Uh, Aiden Rand's lover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who apparently wrote a self-help book called The Psychology of Self-Esteem. I had never uh, heard of that book before. I also wanted to point out that the term objectivist that all the fucking Randians use is fucking stupid. Yeah. Because uh, they're not. Always always <laughs> a, a good time to note, term. by the way, that Ayn Rand relied on the state in the final years of her life because she went fucking bankrupt and had to be looked after on, uh, looked after on Medicare and Social Security. Yep. Yep, so, and her books fucking suck. That uh, I'll never forget. When I remember when uh, President Obama did his little speech and said, you know, about uh, uh, Ayn Rand, that it's something you read when you're young and then grow out of when you get older. And at the time, I was that 16-year-old kid who had just read Ayn Rand. Was like, <laughs> no, it's something you read when you grow up. And now I grow up and go, oh, fuck, he was right. God, <laughs> God damn, damn it. I, I grew the fuck out of it. I grew the fuck out of it. So we get Maslow, Spock, and Brandon, and these people apparently are all arguing that self-esteem is the end goal, the be-all, it's what we're looking for in its entirety. And his proof, his proof on all this and how society has changed and embraced the self-esteem movement is a block quote of song lyrics. (laughs) Starting off with Barney singing, Oh, you are special, special, everyone is special. Sorry, Everyone Barney. In his or her own sorry. way. Barney the purple dinosaur. Is that who mm-hmm. we're 
Okay. Yeah, that's what we're talking just about. Checking. That's what we're talking about. Just and checking. then the next song is Lady Gaga saying, just love yourself and you're set. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. And then the next one from Frozen, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Which, just imagine. Uh, no, you're not watching Frozen. <laughs> oh, Put the that's remote so down. Sad. Put the remote Ben's down. kids don't get to watch Cultural Frozen. Cultural Marxism. Low self-esteem so for my children. That's so sad. And then the last song lyric he gives us, he says, or most crudely, Americans might hear that you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. We ought to do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> <laughs> that is the first time I guarantee you that the Bloodhound Gang has been cited in a work of right-wing polemics, and I want to find out if they are on Twitter so I can let them you know, know. That's worse to me than him, because <laughs> now I can hear it in his voice in my head, and it's a toss-up between that. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. Yeah. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. We should do it like they do on the Discovery oh, Channel. Oh, I want to see but him do it's his worse. lyric breakdown. No, okay. Look. But do you remember when he read the lyric, spit in my mouth, in his voice, <laughs> from WAP? Spit in okay. my mouth. Like, ooh, no. I would completely forgive Ben Shapiro for everything he has ever done and let him do whatever he wants for the rest of his life if he just does for the rest of his career lyric breakdown videos that's all i want i want ben shapiro doing lyric breakdown videos that all get remixed they have to be remixed that's all i want that's really all i want out of life yeah anyway i will never get get over him saying spit in my mouth in his shitty ass voice <laughs> how do i move on from that you can't that's the end of the chapter we're done uh, but no, the next subsection we're at right now is titled The Rise of Intersectionality. Which is just him fundamentally misunderstanding intersectionality as a concept for 10 pages. Absolutely. And like, so going back to that victim thing he brought up earlier, his view of intersectionality is it's all about being victims. And that's, again, nobody on the left who seriously talks about anything has ever used the word fucking victim to talk about intersectionality, all this shit. It's complete fucking nonsense. No, it's his, like, oppression Olympics bullshit, though, isn't it? Like, oh, well, I'm, absolutely. you know, whatever. More kinds absolutely. of oppressed it, than you are. Yeah, so he starts off, uh, it, it, that's exactly what it is, it's the oppression Olympics thing, which is a great fucking slogan. You gotta, also, you gotta give them credit for coming up with that Does, does a slogan. great quote from Malcolm X where I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I saw that too. There were so many people he was quoting in this book who are just if if you took the second to think about what those people are saying, he's quoting them as right, they're wrong. But uh they're really just destroying whatever the fuck Ben is saying. Yeah. So he starts off the subsection saying, quote for the advocates of the Frankfurt School, the point of focusing on self-esteem was obvious. If they focused instead on the spread of material prosperity, they'd have to give up Marxism in favor of Judeo-Christian values-supported capitalism. Sorry, but no, that, hold on. It's like he doesn't know what <laughs> Marxism is. Just redistri like redistributing wealth and material mm -hmm. production. Literally, that is what Marxism wants. But look, when, when he's talking about material prosperity, he's talking about his material his materials prosper he doesn't uh, he doesn't care okay. about the other people's okay, material okay, okay. prosperity. i got you, I got you. So that's that's the problem that we're reaching at there but then he sort of gets into a paragraph where he doesn't realize he's bashing everything he cares about um so he starts talking about judeo-christian religion greek teleology and capitalism now uh, and he says quote religion greek teleology and capitalism all have something in common none of them cares particularly much about 
your bliss. <laughs> I yeah, didn't no, know what to say. How many fucking gurus have made millions of dollars selling bliss? Yeah. Capitalism fucking cares about yeah. your bliss. Ben Shapiro, he, ben Shapiro doesn't care about your feelings is, is what this is. But he continues on saying, quote, Religion suggests that your self-realization lies in consonance with God and that any attempt to placate your ego through pursuit of personally defined happiness is bound to fail. Religion suggests that your bliss does not exist. Only God's bliss does. Greek teleology is utterly unconcerned with your personal definition of self-realization. The only thing that counts is whether you're acting virtuously in accordance with right reason. And capitalism cares far less about how you're feeling than your ability to create products and services someone else wants. Yes, capitalism wants you to be a cog in a wheel. Congratulations. What he's saying there is none of those things he says are the core elements of society care about making people happy care, yeah. or have anything to do with so you being you, happy which you is have the to point redefine of argument you have to redefine happiness around those systems otherwise tough titties like but no his argument is that you need those three things to be happy no that's what but i'm saying, but saying, he's saying those you have three to things can't make you happy exactly you have to redefine what happiness means is what i'm saying that's that's you're right you're 100 percent right if you redefine happiness to mean not happiness then you can get to happiness exactly with those three things. it's like a multi-level marketing scheme <laughs> oh christ so we get to uh, another round of philosophers now and we're going to start with betty friedan feminists um, we're going to yeah, spend Two paragraphs on feminists and then a paragraph on Malcolm X. Yes, yes. So he brings up the feminine mystique in which she Ooh. lamented, quote, a strange stirring, a sense of dissatisfaction, a yearning that women suffered in the middle of the 20th century in the United States. What had led to this unspoken suffering, Benedict? Ben, God damn it, asks. Quoting Maslow, among others, Friedan argued that women had sold themselves out thanks to societal pressures, turning themselves into walking corpses. I okay. mean, I wasn't around in the 1960s, but I can <laughs> believe it. Great what, for I've women, seen of, yeah. what I've seen of Mad Men, I can believe it. Yeah. And then we get to Simone de Beauvoir, uh, author of The Second Sex, and he tells his existentialist partner of Sartre. And I know it's I don't a weird way of just yourself. saying Sartre's lover. Yeah, they fucked. Like, they fucked. And they fucked other people. Yeah. They fucked and they fucked other people. They had, they had a good thing going on there. I gotta say, it's a pretty good thing. Um, and it's, again, it's just the same thing where he's ragging on one of Beauvoir's more uh, like uh, flamboyant statements or yeah. you know something out there where she was talking about how women should be barred from being stay-at-home moms. Um, okay, fine. Do you want to complain about a philosopher that n no one takes that part seriously? Go right ahead. I don't know what your point is here, I mean, Ben. Some Nobody people probably takes do that take it. part seriously. Some people probably do take it seriously. But also, people are allowed to have ideas that people disagree with, and it doesn't make their whole argument invalid. No, no, that's how you get kicked off Twitter. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> did you again, get, right? What did you get kicked off Twitter for recently? I got a 12-hour suspension from Twitter uh, not long ago for uh, calling Charlie Kirk a bitch. Um, <laughs> so I, I get called him a lying bitch. Extremely uh, anyways, worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I cut right to the point. What Which can I part say? did they kick you off for? Was it the lying or the bitch? <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> now that I would like to find out. I have no idea how I can find it out, but I'd like to find it out. Uh, and then, yeah, we, so we get past that uh, feminist stuff that most people don't 
take seriously and they don't, you know, because people put out ideas and you don't take all of them. That's how philosophy works. And then we get to Stokely Carmichael, Malcolm X, all the good stuff you're interested in. Uh, yeah, we get we, we don't even get a paragraph on Malcolm X, though. You lied saying it was a paragraph. It's maybe a sentence. We get maybe a sentence on Malcolm X uh, who said that civil rights legislation was foolhardy because it couldn't solve our problems. Which, I gotta say, I don't know what Ben's point of putting that in here is, other than maybe to indicate that he opposes civil rights legislation? Yeah, yeah. And then we have another... Who's the other quote from? I thought it was... Is that from uh, Charles that's the, Hamilton? That's uh, the Stokely Carmichael, Charles Hamilton quote. Yes, from gotcha. uh, Black Power, The Politics of Liberation. Where the quote is, quote, Racism is both overt and covert. It takes two closely related forms, individual whites acting against individual blacks and acts by the total white community against the black community. We call these individual racism and institutional racism, which are real fucking things that Ben wants to pretend are not. Yeah, and it, it, it then, I mean, it goes on to say that, like, black Americans lack proper food, shelter, and medical facilities, and thousands more are destroyed and maimed physically, emotionally, and intellectually because of conditions of poverty and discrimination in the black community that is a function of institutional racism, which is, like, yes. Yeah, Ben's mistake there is in letting Stokely Carmichael talk. Yeah. Right? <laughs> ah, I see his <laughs> argument has completely disproven mine. Why didn't I just but put it in my book? He follows up this big, long paragraph where he's just quoting directly from uh, Black Power, where follows it with this, quote, The only way for members of these victimized groups to restore their self-esteem would become by banding together to tear down the system. You know, which and obviously quotes, has nothing to do with their material conditions and is all about their feelings. Like, what, shut right, the fuck and up. That's, like, what? They're talking about material He talked about food, shelter, yeah. medical facilities. That's what the fuck he's talking about. He does bring up emotionally destroying people because that's what we've done to black people in this fucking country. Yeah, because when you have no food, you tend to not be in a great state of mind. I don't know if you've ever had no food. I haven't, and he, personally. Even Ben Shapiro on his worst day would not go so far as to deny the horrible history of racism in this country because he's not that dumb to admit what he really thinks out loud. Yeah. He's not that dumb. He's stupid, but he's not dumb. I forget which way I usually say it. It's one of those two <laughs> ways. But then he gets on to the individual who came up with the term intersectionality, which is Professor Kimberly Crenshaw of Columbia University. And so the basic concept of intersectionality, right? There are different sort of groups, racial groups, gender groups, uh, sexual orientation groups. And all those different groups have oh, different the experiences. Oh, the end of this bit is wild. I forgot yes, about Yes, would this. you like to read it? <laughs> <laughs> no. It was just, uh, it, well, I mean, we can, it, she, he talks about the checking their privilege, right? And then he completely mm -hmm. extrapolates it and is like, cons they say that conservatives aren't people. And therefore, <laughs> Clarence Thomas yes. is not really black because he doesn't vote yes. Democrat. Nikki Haley isn't really a woman because she's a pro-life Republican. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is not what we said, Ben. No, that's not. No, no. Clarence Thomas is just a shitbag. Yeah. Just a complete shitbag. Nikki Haley, also a complete shitbag. We're not saying they're not women or they're not black. They're just shitbags. That thing exists. And then he goes on to, to like, quote, a tiny bit from Ta-Nehisi Coates. Who is which 10 was a mistake. times smarter than Ben. It was a mistake because it made me go read the whole Ta-Nehisi Coates article and see what he was saying in context. Now, what Ben says is, quote, 
According to Ta-Nehisi Coates, when black people call for individualistic thinking that strays from traditional democratic ideology, that means supporting, quote, white freedom. Freedom without consequence, freedom without criticism, freedom to be proud and ignorant. I'm going to read the, pa the passage from Ta-Nehisi Coates' article in The Atlantic, which is entitled, I'm Not Black, I'm Kanye. He was writing about Kanye fucking West. Okay. And it goes as follows. Is it about being critical of the system when you are an external actor to the system and how you should still, even when accepted by the system, be critical of its faults? I'll, I'll let you decide what uh, Ta-Nehisi is trying I would to say, say this, that that would this. be my argument if I were Ta-Nehisi Coates. But well, he says, he says, quote, What Kanye West seeks is what Michael Jackson sought, liberation from the dictates of that we. If his visit with West, in his visit with West, the rapper T.I. was stunned to find that West, despite his endorsement of Trump, had never heard of the travel ban. He didn't know the things that we know because he's removed himself from society to a point where it didn't reach him. Yeah. You were on the point. It, it's, a, it's a reference to I'm not black, I'm OJ, right? That's the, that's the original. Yes. yes. Like, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. West calls his struggle the right to be a free thinker. And he is indeed championing a kind of freedom, a white freedom. Freedom without consequence, freedom without criticism, freedom to be proud and ignorant, freedom to profit off of people in one moment and abandon them in the next, a stand-your-ground freedom, a freedom without responsibility, without hard memory, a Monticello without slavery, a Confederate freedom, the freedom of John C. Calhoun, not the freedom of Harriet Tubman, which calls you to risk your own, not the freedom of Nat Turner, which calls you to give even more, but a conqueror's freedom, freedom built on the strong... Uh, freedom of the strong built on antipathy or indifference to the weak. The freedom of rape buttons, pussy grabbers, and fuck you anyway, bitch. Freedom of oil and invisible wars. The freedom of suburbs drawn with red lines. The white freedom of Calabasas. God, he's good at that, writing. Fuck. God damn it, that man is good at writing. That, we need to redistribute some of his writing ability. That's what yeah. we really need. <laughs> tax, 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 <laughs> <his> writing ability. <laughs> God damn that man. But he does go on to talk about uh, O.J. Simpson, Jim Brown, and you know things like that. And mm -hmm. so right, you were on the point of what he's talking about, that Kanye has put himself outside of the system. Yeah. And is enjoying the freedom that that is, uh, the freedom to be ignorant. Yeah, th and then nothing... there's a class argument there as well that I think that, that extract didn't quite touch on, but America also yeah. has the very unique racial component that the class argument doesn't quite doesn't quite fit under the class argument as well. It's a component, but I think yeah. the race element in the United States, obviously another massive component. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, so Ben Shapiro boiled all that down to individualist thinking that strays from traditional Democrat ideology. <laughs> That's what he got out of that magnificently written piece by Ta-Nehisi Coates. It is, I mean, I can imagine... Uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates isn't the greatest speaker in the world, but I can imagine a really great speaker reading that. No, but I, can you I imagine really Frederick want... Douglass reading that shit? Like, that would be God cool. Goddamn. <laughs> Goddamn. Or Malcolm Gladwell, you know, like one of our great orators reading that. That's what I want. I want I want a team. You know how they used to have comedy teams? Yeah. I want uh, Ta-Nehisi to Coates to, to join up with somebody. He, I mean, he's a good speaker, but he's not like a, 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 a speech giver. Even fucking like Jesse Jackson would kill that as a speech. Absolutely. Any, any Absolutely. preacher. Reverend, Someone, yeah, Reverend it, Barber. Like a preacher. Oh. A preacher would kill that speech. When I read that in my head, it's in that that preacher cadence. Yeah. That's what it is. And that, that it sounds so good coming out that way. And it's wonderful. Anyways, we got to move on. The next subsection. The next, the next subsection, why can't I do a phrenology? Like... <laughs> 
absolutely is what it is. The next one is called Victimhood Triumphant. And yes, we're going to get into scientific racism in this chapter because, of course, Ben is a proponent of scientific racism as much as he might want to pretend he is At least according to some of the things that he wishes he could do according to his own writing. Yes, where he says, quote, Science, too, must take a back seat. Science might undercut the intersectional argument by providing evidence that not all suffering springs from institutional discrimination. Say, for example, that social science shows a high correlation between single motherhood and crime, and that single motherhood is especially predominant among American blacks. How fucking ignorant do you have to do to write that sentence? Yeah, How fucking great. ignorant do you have to be to write that goddamn... I can't even talk. That sentence bothers me so fucking much. <laughs> yeah, not great. Not great. And then he goes on Why to say... Why ask the next question, yeah. then? Why <laughs> is that say, especially prominent? Yeah. Yeah. He then true. says, or say, there are group differences in IQ, and that those differences may be at least partially heritable. Oh, no. <laughs> or, or say, say that... that skulls are a different size or shape. Well, he doesn't write this. I'm yes! not actually quoting, but this is, uh, this is essentially where he's going. And yeah, and he goes on to write men and women are different and women make less because they're women and they, you know, they bleed once a month. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this guy is such a fuck, fucking ignoramus. He's such, he's gross, man. It's really gross because on the next page, on the next page, he's quoting James Damore, the Google douchebag. You mean at Fired for Truth? <laughs> to to refer to him by handle? his formal title. Please tell me that's his actual handle. I think it was, yeah. <laughs> I think I vaguely remember that being his actual handle. Uh, but he says about James Damore, quote, In 2018, a lawsuit by former Google employee James Damore for wrongful termination alleged that the company distributed an official handout to all managers. That memo, meant to encourage inclusion, suggested that aspects of white-dominant culture could not be rewarded by managers. Those aspects included thinking in terms of Individual achievement, meritocracy, we are objective, and colorblind racial frame. So I wanted to point this out because this goes back to something we talked about with uh, the last book, or the, the other book, rather, The Russia Hoax. That lawsuit by James Elmore didn't go anywhere. They withdrew that lawsuit. But yeah, ben his, his website is firedfortruth.com. And his okay, handle, and his handle was briefly at Fired for Truth, but that he then got his real name as a handle. Okay, so. that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I'm very happy about that. But Ben Shapiro doesn't need that lawsuit to have actually gone anywhere. No, he just he needs, just to needs that lawsuit. Yes, so that he can say it was alleged in that lawsuit. That this doesn't have like to be the proven. Greg Jarrett book. Yeah. Full circle. Were you not paying attention to me for the last 40 seconds? I, I was looking up Fired for Truth. It seems more interesting. Okay. God damn it. But and I came to the, the next... same conclusion on my own, so you must be right. Very disappointed in you. But we get to the next person he's going to bring up, Steven Pinker, who we've oh, also okay. talked about in this book. And Steven Pinker, and when we talked about Steven Pinker last time, I didn't know enough, enough about him um, to sort of talk about what he was a shitty for. Um, turns out uh, Ben Shapiro is going to tell us why he's shitty <laughs> yeah. right here. Don't worry about so it. So in 2018, <laughs> yeah, in 2018, apparently, uh, Pinker uh, gave a talk where he's talking about the alt-right. Uh, and he's talking about why the alt-right came to be. And he said that the reason why the alt-right was coming to be was that when rational people cited basic facts, facts like, quote, different ethnic groups commit violent crimes at different rates, 
or, quote, men and women are not identical in their life priorities, in their sexuality, in their tastes and interests, they were immediately called racist and sexist. It's it's fucking bullshit, but we're going to get worse. We're going to get we worse. Are. He keeps bringing up other shitbags. But then we get to Sam Harris. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sam Harris, right, we, we, uh, we've talked about Sam Harris a little bit uh, before, but he talks about the old Sam Harris. The has, has traditionally misrepresented my, my ways of being and a classic regressive left maneuver. Classical liberalism. I'm a classical liberal. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and so I'm not going to really talk about the uh, Sam Harris stuff. He does go to the National Science Foundation trying to pursue a diverse STEM workforce. So apparently that's bullshit because obviously Shapiro sees no value in diversity. Uh, we get to Heather McDonald is the next one he brings up. Uh, do you have any idea who Heather McDonald is? No. Heather McDonald is an American Enterprise Institute hack, as you would be. Not much surprised. She is a outspoken anti-feminist who also (laughs) spends her time writing books like Are Cops Racist? Question mark. Or The Illegal Alien Crime Wave. Or (laughs) The War on Cops. How the new attack on law and order makes everyone less safe. I bet that's aged really poorly. Given the or of most week. recently in 2018, the diversity delusion: how race and gender pandering corrupt the university and undermine our culture. Stuff. Yeah, and this I is gotta all say, the, the bullshit university. The, stuff, yeah, right? like, but the, I, I noticed her titles of her books get progressively longer, the <laughs> crazier she gets. Because it, it seems like she went off the rails somewhere along the point, and she just got progressively crazy. Like, she was crazy from the beginning, but she got worse and fucking worse. Uh, like, uh, her most recent book had had a uh, blurb from Charles Murray on it. Oh, good. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. The bell curve, yeah. Charles Murray. Even the, even, yeah, even the Cato Institute has panned this moron. Uh, so she's she's uh, not the greatest source to be bringing up here. But he brings up how she has pointed out that uh, medical schools have been encouraged to stop using the MCAT for ethnic minorities. And the impact of that, from 2013 to 2016, medical schools admitted 57% of black applicants with a low MCAT of 24 to 26, but only 8% of whites and 6% of Asians with that same score. And the quote Ben said, Ben wrote this, Ben Shapiro wrote this, how it helps patients to have less qualified but more ethnically diverse heart surgeons remains unexplained. Okay, but the MCAT, apart from anything else, the MCAT is like the LSAT, right? Where like you do it and then you learn to be a doctor. Yes, that doesn't this make is something you... you take before med school. Yeah, it doesn't make you less qualified because you got a lower score No, Like... No. Also, the amount of times that white doctors have been like, just ignored a black person's pain. Like maybe a black person would do better with a black doctor in that instance, because yep. you're like, oh yes, I believe that you are in pain. And I'm not saying Absolutely. that all white doctors do that, obviously, but like it, it, Serena Williams nearly fucking died because doctors didn't believe her during childbirth when she said something was wrong. Yep. Yeah. I mean, what I'm, what I'm hanging on is the idea that he doesn't understand that a standardized test has nothing to do with your qualifications. Absolutely nothing. Sounds to do. like there someone who didn't do as well as he could have done on the LSAT. Uh, there are pe- <laughs> I was about to say, there are people like me who do very well on standardized <laughs> tests. And then there are people like Ben who are jerks. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he but- would do well on a standardized test. I'm sure he would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I was talking about you. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, do like, I do like that he uses 
anti-scientific blatherskite. Uh, yeah, it's a good um, word. It's a good word. <laughs> that's how he's referring that's to it. All that's this, clearly this a word he learned for his SATs. Yes, yes. But then he jumps into lying about what Jordan Peterson did. Yep. Uh, because, of course, they can never tell the story honestly because then it would sound bad because it was bad. And his description of the Jordan Peterson situation is, quote, Jordan Peterson, professor at the University of Toronto, received a letter from his administration warning him that his refusal to use transgender pronouns was, quote, contrary to the rights of those persons to equal treatment without discrimination based on their gender identity and gender expression. And those two are both, of course, in scare quotes. That is not the order of operations of how things went down with Jordan B. Peterson. Yeah, he deliberately misgendered people, right? Or he deliberately to, misgendered people their pronoun, preferred pronoun. and made public comments that he would continue to use the wrong pronouns on purpose because he's a douchebag. Yeah. That's the way this is. And then he got a letter. And then he got the letter. I, I just, I can't understand if your situations, your your stories, all your evidence, all your everything you have to back you up is this bad, how you can do all that and then pretend to have the slightest bit credibility coming out the gate. Unless you're an absolute moron who does no fact checking and just believes whatever version you get of it on Twitter from your right wing media sphere. But I think Shapiro is smarter than that. I honestly do. Because the next people he brings up are Charles Murray, Heather McDonald, and Christina Hoff Summers Good getting run stuff. off campus. The gang's back together. He says, usually, uh, uh, having been run off of campus, usually following violent protests for the sin of citing statistics, or in Charles Murray's case, for being a fucking racist whose yeah. work has been panned for being completely unscientific bullshit. Good but stuff. of course, the right wants to hang on to it because they... Deep down, they believe in scientific racism. They, re I, I honestly believe that they believe, whether they will admit it or not, because when I was a right-wing shitbag, I believed the scientific racism shit. I absolutely believed it because I believed in my own superiority. And I had no reason to think I was superior. I was a fucking mechanic. You know, I had no reason to think I was better than anybody. But I had guy, to have Kevin, a reason. Don't do yourself down. I, well, I've always been a smart guy, but I was also a stupid guy at one point. <laughs> stupid but not dumb? Which one is it? I don't know. Yeah, whatever way I usually do it. Right. So we continue that's, that's on. That's pretty much it, right? Like, well, we got a progress. little bit more of the victim stuff, yeah, right? So he talks boring. about how people who Boo. perceive themselves as victims are more likely to be aggressors, according to some shyster. Uh, this kind of bullshit. And then we get to the final subsection, which is called the end of progress, which he says, quote, so has the vision of the cultural left provided fulfillment? It's provided solipsism for certain, but it's also provided polarization. Racial solidarity among members of the intersectional coalition has also driven reverse racial solidarity from the so-called alt-right, a group of racists who have sought to promote white pride. So it is the left's fault that we have the alt-right now. Yep. Why I, wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? I can't understand how you get to that. And I understand because my theory and the, the theory I generally follow having to do with fundamentalism is that it is a reaction to secularization. I get that. But that doesn't mean you blame the secularists 
for the fundamentals. For trying to be secular, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. No. It's the it's the fundamentalists who have the problem. Yeah. It's like if you're in a relationship with someone, and they have a problem with the fact that you have to fall asleep with the TV on. That's not your problem. This sounds like that's a their problem. issue that's being added on the podcast, Kevin. <laughs> I gotta fall asleep with the TV on. <laughs> Well, no, but I mean, the thing is, it's exactly what he would say is an un... You know, the Conservatives are the party of personal responsibility, supposedly. And if anyone goes, hey, maybe America is somewhat to blame for, for example, the rise of ISIS. People like Ben right. Shapiro would freak the fuck out. And I think, you know... Fe- it's, Unless it's they can contri- blame it on Obama. It's if a they can blame it on Obama, factor. they'll go Yeah, for it. exactly. It's a contributing factor, but like they don't, you know, America re- destabilized the region with the Iraq war, which helped to lead to the rise of ISIS, yes. But like, that's it. Well, that's completely taking away agency from ISIS and the terrorists, blah, blah, blah. Which, yes, it is. But like, it, that's exactly the argument he's making here. It's like, you can't say it's the terrorists' fault that they're terrorists or whatever. Like, fundam- you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. And he does also sort of give a nod to the fact that it's they, the alt-right has been embraced by large parts of the right. He sort of does give a nod to that because he says it's because uh, the tendency of some people on the right to embrace anyone who supposedly opposes political correctness. Um, and that's absolutely true. That's, that's part of the reason why the alt-right has been um, successful at infiltrating so much of the right. I think it's infiltrated more of the right than Ben Shapiro wants to give it credit for. Um, but I think that's actually absolutely a component. The fact that they're willing to see the enemy of my enemy is my um, insurrectionist. So that's it. I'm going to read the final paragraph, as I always Ooh. do. And it is quote, of the book, kind of of the book, uh, kind of. We have the conclusion to do. But it says, quote, Harari, who is a, a you uh, know, historian. Uh, he's a popular historian. He cited on the, the page before this is right about one thing. Capitalism, it turns out, cannot fulfill the human longing for meaning even if it betters our material condition. And so the fantasy of a new humanity promulgated by the left continues to romance us. We cycle between attempting to fulfill that dream, suffering for that attempt, abandoning that attempt, and taking up the dream again. Our only alternative would be to return to the Judeo-Christian values and Greek reason that undergirded America's founding. It's not enough to make the case for the utility of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was the ground floor of the building, resting on certain foundational ideas and basic premises. We must shore up those ideas and premises if we hope to keep building skyward rather than adding weight to an already shaky superstructure. Next, we turn to that task. And that's where we get to the actual end of this fucking book, which we're not going to spend much time on. I'm going to be, I'm about, gonna be honest here. I didn't read it. So. Oh, well, I figured you didn't, so I have it handled. It's only about six pages. It's called Conclusion, How to Build. And it's, it's so short, I figured we were just going to get it out of the way and get it fucking done with. Okay. So he starts off. Saying, quote, America is struggling right now in a lot of ways, but its largest struggle is the struggle for our national soul. We are so angry at each other right now. That anger is palpable. Where did it come from? From well, reading this from- book. <laughs> I was going to say it came from lying about the outcome of an election, for one thing. But again, this is an attempt to not take any responsibility for his obvious part in that anger, because Ben Shapiro is one of the many who has for most of the lifetime that I can remember, because he's been fucking famous for as long as, as you know, since I was, I don't know, like 15, 16, I guess at this point. And he has been one of those who has been screaming that the left are communists, they are evil, they want to destroy America. Those three phrases, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard them from right wing fingers uh, in my lifetime. And that is absolutely the core 
reason why we have this division. Because the right thinks the other side is evil. In my experience, the left doesn't think the other side is evil. We think they're stupid and deluded. And they've been <laughs> lied to and believe it. That's at least my point. That's at least where I come from. I think they've been lied to and they believe it. And that is a problem. I think it's a solvable problem if we get out all of the rot first. If we're able to stop the people who are lying to them. Or at least get them to listen to some truth at some point then we could be able to fix the problem. But from Ben Shapiro's position, there is no solving the problem because he is going to, and everyone on his side is going to continue to yell that the left is evil. They are communist atheists who want to take away your Jesus and destroy America because they hate it. And there is no reconciliation with that. There is no correcting that gap. I don't see any way to bridge it. Yeah. So he continues on and he says, quote, we used to see each other as brothers and sisters, not the 1% versus the 99% or the privileged versus the victims. We aren't enemies. We were a community forged in fire and tethered together by a set of values stretching back to the Garden of Eden, a community of individuals working to understand the value of each other as images of God. So what I take from that paragraph is that it is white By the people. way, that, that sentence is five lines long. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. But that sentence only applies to white people. There is no yeah. time in American history or Western history, as Ben likes to call it, where those things are true between African-Americans or blacks and whites. There just isn't. Because there was never a time when we looked at each other as brothers and sisters. Yeah, where I, we I mean, didn't you, could, have... you could argue as well that, I mean, women were excluded that for, from that for a long time right. as well. And we... everyone but white men, like, it's the, the opposite of the, the point he's trying to make, but... We were never a community that was all, and that's the problem. There are those of us on the left who want to bring everyone together as a community. And there are those on the right demanding that it's already been done and we need to go back to 1954 and not move any further beyond that. So that's that's my big fucking problem with that. There's not much else to say. He has a long rambling two pages about the uh, Abraham trying to sacrifice his son story in the Bible and his bullshit interpretation of it. It doesn't have anything to do with anything, really. His, we get to... His, his four lessons are, are pretty funny. His four lessons. That's what I was going to close out the book okay. with because this is the sort of stuff I like. Remember with Dinesh D'Souza, we got our ending recommendations on how to cure fascism. Kill the leftists, yeah. These are just, I would see these in a fucking self-help book. I like, okay, that's I, I particularly trite. like lesson two. Yes. Yeah, so we start with lesson number one. Your life has purpose. Which most of this book seems to have disproved, but carry on. Yeah, it really go, does. Go off, King. But he's, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just bullshit. It's just fucking platitudes yeah. is really all it is. Yeah. Your life is not bewildering, chaotic mess. It's a struggle, but it's a struggle guided by higher meaning. Find Boring. your bliss. Number two. He might as well just say, find your bliss. That's really what he should fucking These could say. all goes on, go on those, like, cedar fucking boards that are in yes. every, every yeah. like, basic bitch's <laughs> kitchen. Like. There's one, um, uh, my girlfriend had one, oh, we were just talking about the other day, and I can't remember it, and she's going to kick me when she sees me for not remembering it, uh, but there was, yeah, we were talking about one of those just the other day. <laughs> anyway, on to, on to number two, live, laugh, love. <laughs> number two, you can do <laughs> live laugh laugh you can do it that's it that's number two you yep. can do it 
You're not a victim. Your successes are your accomplishments, but they're also the legacy of those who came before you and those who stand with you. There's a lot of like racial memory type stuff. Yeah, uh, it's also, undercurrent in all is, the shit he writes. This is a lot easier to teach your children when you're a Harvard ex- educated lawyer and yeah. your wife's a doctor. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sure they can fucking do it. Yeah. Number three, your civilization is unique. And there's some some really interesting language in there about how you need to you need to defend those roots. Be grateful for those roots of your history. And you need to fight for those roots. There's that kind of stuff in there. Uh, but then we get to number four, which I found the most interesting. There are only four of them. It's the last one. I found number four the most interesting. Didn't get to the 12 rules for life like Jordan Peterson. No, he's like, I, no, I, no, I no. have four. I have, I have four. He that got to this point. Pitch. He's like, I'm fucking done. This fucking, why did I sign that fucking book deal? Uh, number four, we are all brothers and sisters. And the sentence that immediately comes after that <laughs> is, quote, we are not enemies if we share yeah, a common cause. Yeah, that doing a lot of lifting. Though. That if is doing some heavy fucking lifting in that sentence. Because you absolutely know he sees anyone who doesn't share his cause as his fucking enemy. And that sounds like such a better platitude to say we're all brothers and sisters until you realize the if there. Yeah. The if really fucking Until takes you away cross me it. and then, by God, I will smite <laughs> you really with a vengeance. Hotter than a thousand suns. Uh, so... I will read the final uh, paragraph-ish of this. He has a boring story about his kids. Just, uh, I don't, and I don't, I don't, Isn't I don't want to. To be fair, show, all stories about kids. That is true. But on this show, I think we've sort of agreed in the past. I never want to attack anybody's kids or bring up anybody's kids because I just think that's a line um, that I don't want to cross. So I'm Unless not they do shit something shitty kids. themselves. Sure. The, when when uh, Baron Trump turns 18 and uh, becomes Nick Sandman, yeah, I'll, I'll be right there on it. But uh, I will read the final paragraph, uh, which comes after, you know, he, a story about him putting his kid to bed or something. And it is, quote, It is our job to carry on the tradition. It is our job to push the task forward. If we do, then we will be truly deserving of God's blessing and fit to proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. We will choose life so that we and our children may live. Perfectly trite, yep. meaningless ending Extremely for trite. a trite and meaningless book, Good The Right stuff. Side of History Good by Ben stuff. Shapiro. So, Benedict! We're done! How you feeling, buddy? Yeah, all right. It was fine. All right. I think, um, so if we're ranking our enjoyment of the books that we've done, I think this is number two for me. Okay, Dinesh, I think Dinesh this, number one? Dinesh has not been knocked off of the okay. number one spot yet. I'm looking, you know, we're looking for that up and coming rookie to come in and take him out. But, you know, the man's just got all the points on the board. Uh, nobody's got the assists that Dinesh has. You really can't beat him. Yeah. Uh, he's got a really strong defensive game. And uh, I got to say, his stats are looking really good for this upcoming season. If he can uh, come off of that uh, that knee injury and uh, come out swinging out of the gates, we're going to have to see. He's been in rehab for about six months now. I'm waiting for you to interrupt all my sports talk. No, bullshit. I was going to let you go. Uh, I feel like it was a really mixed <laughs> sports metaphor. You were like, oh, he's got a good defense and he's really swinging for the fences. Like, uh, <laughs> like, he's swinging over the fences. He got a lot of touchdowns, uh, and you know he's he's really been able to put it in the back of the net, top shelf. Uh, I was I was waiting for you to stop so I could just say sports, but then you didn't stop. <laughs> so, um, no, I think yeah, I kind of agree. I it's it's this one has been at least like more of an intellectual exercise because it's mostly been me going, that is not how I remember reading that. 
and then <laughs> checking and me being right <laughs> is but like i actually had to go back and look stuff up which is nice i didn't just know that stuff was wrong necessarily or i i had to look back and be like did i read that wrong or did i misinterpret that because like he actually references interesting thinkers without actually engaging in any of that with any of their ideas and sometimes he just doesn't engage with like people at all and sometimes he willfully misinterprets people's ideas but at least he mentions those people, right? And it's not just like, well, this dude who's kind of a Nazi historian, not in the sense that he studied the Nazis, but in the sense that he is actually a Nazi who also happens to be a historian, which is what Dinesh did. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was troubling. So uh, I think as we usually do when we finish a book and we're about to start a new one, next week we are going to do a recap of this book, talk a little bit about what we learned and what we pulled out of it, what we think uh, are the the ideas and core concepts, all that kind of you know useless bullshit that nobody cares about. Yep. And we're also going to be introducing the new book, uh, Arguing with Socialists by Glenn Beck. I'm excited because Glenn Beck is a radio host, which means there's going to be plenty of audio clips for me to pull and us to go through uh, throughout the book and uh, for the introduction and all over the place. Good so stuff. that's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, I just got a text from my little brother that he really enjoyed the patron-only bonus episode well, that we did, good. which is wonderful. I'm excited. That's, that's pretty nice. great. I guess that means we got a formula worked out Good stuff. on how to do them going into the future. So that's exciting. Good stuff. Uh, but yeah, that's what we're going to do next week. Uh, this has been a long episode so Has. far. And I know uh, I know we're getting a little tired here. I am getting so, a little tired. I need to sleep. Thank you all for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode. That's $4 a month for patron-only bonus episodes, early releases, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. And we will do the drawing uh, next week for our copy of The Right Side of History. Um, but as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Megan Ruth, Savia Kino, Glau Rung the Deceiver, Danielle, just barely outrunning being pecked to death by lame ducks. <laughs> Got That's a good change. I approve that change. That's very good. Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taro Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, and Andrew Jenko. Nice. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. Thank you. That's it for this week's show. Till next time. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, goodbye. Goodbye. And goodbye to that chicken. podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.